sermon text this morning is Ruth chapter 4, as we conclude our series through the book of Ruth. We read Ruth chapter 4 for our first reading, but as always, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open because we will be referring to the passage throughout the sermon this morning. We saw last week at the end of chapter 3 that it ended on a bit of a cliffhanger as Boaz had promised to redeem Ruth. And if you recall, the kinsman redeemer in the Old Covenant was a person who uh, would step in to help family members who were going through uh, difficult times. There were actually a few basic things that a kinsman redeemer was responsible of doing within families in Israel. They were first to redeem property as necessary. So if uh, a relative lost his property because of financial hardships or debt, uh, things like that, the kinsman redeemer, who was from his own family, would purchase the land and then would return it to the person who was forced to sell it. Secondly, the kinsman redeemer was often responsible for purchasing or redeeming people. So if a relative was experiencing financial hardship and was forced to sell themselves into slavery, it was the kinsman redeemer of that family who would buy them out of slavery and then set them free. And thirdly, they were also responsible for redeeming blood, meaning that uh, they were in, in many ways avengers of blood. When a relative, for instance, was, was murdered unjustly, was killed unjustly, the kinsman redeemer was to exact justice and to protect the honor of the family. And fourthly, the kinsman redeemer was to preserve the family line. So that when a man in the family, one of the families of Israel, died and left no male children to inherit his property and to carry on his name, the kinsman redeemer was to marry the widowed woman and then to father a son by her. And that first son born out of that relationship was then considered the son of the dead relative. In this way, that person's name would continue on, and that son would inherit the property of his deceased father. So the kinsman redeemer, we know, in order to fulfill these many responsibilities, they had to first be related by blood to the family in need. And we know that Boaz was related by blood to Ruth and to Naomi, right? He was from Elimelech's clan. The person, secondly, had to be wealthy enough to redeem. And as we saw, Boaz was wealthy enough to carry on this responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. And thirdly, uh, the person had to be willing to step up and to take the responsibility. And we see that Boaz was willing to do this. We see this. Because after Ruth made her intentions and her desires clear to Boaz that night, that she wanted to be married to Boaz, she wanted to be redeemed by him, Boaz said to Ruth in chapter 3, verse 11, I will do for you all that you ask. And then you know that that is always the right answer to give your wife. Boaz said, I will do for you all that you ask. But we also know that there was, was a complication in the matter. Though Boaz 
fulfilled all of the requirements to be able to redeem Ruth, there was a family member closer than Boaz who had the first right in this situation. And so, you know, whatever Boaz's feelings were toward Ruth, he could not redeem her until the nearer redeemer refused to accept the responsibility. As Boaz explained to Ruth in chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And now we begin chapter 4. We see that Boaz went straight away to resolve the situation. You know, the fact that he didn't put it off for a few days really gives us the sense of urgency that Boaz had to resolve the situation, but it really gives us a sense of of the feelings that he had toward Ruth, that he genuinely cared for her. We consider the book of Ruth as a whole, in fact. See, in chapter 1, you know, 10 years collapses in chapter 1 as, you know, Elimelech's family goes into Moab during the famine that was in Bethlehem, and, and there in Moab they experience those difficulties. That all happened within 10 years. And then chapter 2, chapter 2 covers a whole season of, of harvest. A lot of time passes by in chapter 2 as well, but between chapters 3 and 4, we feel now this sense of urgency, right? It's the very next day that Boaz sets out to redeem Ruth, to marry Ruth. As we consider our first point this morning, that it was a costly redemption. It was a costly redemption. We read in chapter 4, verse 1, Now Boaz had gone up to the gates and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, the gate uh, in the city at this time, and in this culture specifically, was uh, similar to what we might refer to as uh, our courthouse or uh, our city halls. Uh, it was the place where business transactions and legal matters were often settled. And even the posture that, that Boaz takes, this posture of sitting, and then asking the other redeemer to sit down with him, Uh, Even this posture was a posture of a legal transaction that was about to take place. In fact, as they've excavated uh, more and more towns and cities, they've noticed where the gates are, and they've noticed that there are benches around those gates, indicating that this is where the place of of business would often take place in, in ancient cities and towns. And we see, as you consider here verse 1, we see once again the very clear providence of God being highlighted for us. As the text says, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. The the emphasis is on the fact that it was at just that right moment, at just the right time, the other Redeemer, our mystery man, we might say, just happened to walk by. So Boaz, after asking him to sit down again, there's a posture of legal transaction. Boaz then asked 10 men of the city to also sit down. 
These 10 men were to be official witnesses to this, again, transaction, this business deal that would take place. And Boaz then very tactfully presented his case. Uh, he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, you see in verse 3, who has come back from the county, country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And you know, for this man, the opportunity seemed great, right? More land to add to my portfolio. Let's do it. We read in verse 4, and he said, I will redeem it. He didn't even hesitate. But then we read that Boaz continued to tell him about the fine print of this contract that would be made. Boaz said in verse 5, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Boaz, in essence, told the man, this new real estate you're about to to redeem, it comes with a few requirements. Uh, You will have to take care of Naomi. And you will also have to care for Ruth, the Moabitess. And you will have to try to conceive a child or many children with her. And if you have a son, you will have to raise that child and all of her children on your own dime at cost to you. And if you do have a son, that son, that first son, will be considered Naomi's and Elimelech's. And then when he is old enough, he will inherit his father's land. You'll ultimately have to give it over to him. And you can imagine how quickly the blood drained from uh, this man's face. By taking all of these extra expenses upon himself, all these extra costs, he realized that he might be putting his own estate in jeopardy. Turns out that he really can't afford to care for all of these new people in his household. So verse 6, the Redeemer said, I cannot, I cannot redeem it. On second thought, I cannot do this transaction, lest I impair my own inheritance. Uh, Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And this is exactly what Boaz was hoping to hear. And we are given here some cultural insight into how the matter was then uh, legally settled. You know, in our day, what would happen is they would both sign perhaps a whole bunch of paperwork. But in this day and age, we were reading about, it was an exchange of of sandals, as we read in verses 7 through 10. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, Boaz drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, all those who were witnessing this transaction, and I want you to pay attention to, to what Boaz is now going to say because it's important. Because it shows that Boaz knows what he's getting himself 
into. He knows the cost of redemption. He knows what is involved, and yet he goes through with it. Verse 9, you are all witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from among the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Now, I want you to consider this point in the story. Had this uh, anonymous redeemer, this other redeemer not been present in the story, you know, you and I wouldn't feel the weight. We wouldn't feel the costliness of Boaz's actions here. And we wouldn't truly feel the love that Boaz had for Ruth and and the urgency that he felt in, in marrying her. He desired to redeem her. And yet we see, loved ones, in the story that the blessings that Ruth and Naomi will soon experience come at a high cost of redemption, a high cost to Boaz. But we know that the Bible teaches us about a far costlier redemption. It's the redemption that we have through Christ by his blood. Now, that redemption did not merely endanger a man's estate, but it cost a man his life. The Apostle Paul speaks of this cost in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You know, when the Apostle Paul says that Christ was rich, we know that he's clearly not referring to Jesus' earthly life. We know that the Lord Jesus was born into poverty. Mary and Joseph were not rich. What the Apostle Paul is speaking about here is he's speaking about Christ's pre-existent status as the eternal Son of God in heaven. And Paul here, in many ways, is pointing us back to before creation, before time, and to peer in eternity past. And it's there, before his incarnation, that the Son experienced the joy and the glory of being co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, it is there that the Son was rich. The Apostle Paul continues and says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He gave all that he had. So we can say with certainty that in his preexistent glory, no man was richer than Christ, but we can also say that by his incarnation... No man ever descended so much. No man became poorer than Christ. How poor did he become? Well, he took on our human nature. He veiled himself in flesh and became subject to that flesh. And when he took on our human nature, we noted that he wasn't born into wealth, status, but he was born into poverty. He was born under the law very law that he himself had given, and he was now subject to it. 
and he perfectly fulfilled it, both in his obedient life and his obedience unto death. We know that he experienced the miseries and all the difficulties that we experience in our own lives. He experienced hunger, pain, sorrow. He was hated and ridiculed. He was subject to all the effects of the fall of man, except that he was without sin. But we know in the gospel that the depth of his poverty and of his humility didn't come at his birth, but it came during the final week of his life when Christ, we read in the gospels, suffered the full weight of God's wrath for sin. And the gospel says to us that he did it for you and for me. He did it in order to redeem us from our sins, to buy us out of slavery, to marry us, and to make us his church, his spotless bride. He did it so that you and I, loved ones, might become rich, that you and I might receive all of the eternal spiritual blessings that come with our being united to Christ, with our being united to our bridegroom, our being redeemed by him. And so this is why the Apostle Paul, loved ones, writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, he says to you and to me, you and I have been bought with a price. We have been bought with a price. What Paul emphasizes here is that you and I are no longer slaves to sin. We've been bought out of that sin. We've been purchased out of it. We have been redeemed from the penalty and the power of sin. And so, brothers and sisters, let us no longer live as slaves to sin. The Bible tells us that we have the power. Now, having been united to Christ by the Spirit, we have the power to put to death, to put to death the deeds of darkness, to mortify our sin that is in our flesh. The Bible assures us that sin no longer reigns over us because of what Christ has accomplished for us. That though some sin remains, no sin reigns over us. Sin is no longer our master. We know that in our struggle against sin, in our striving after holiness, in our striving towards sanctification, too often we we throw up our hands, don't we? So often we think, you know, it's useless to continue to fight. And yet, the Apostle Paul says, brothers and sisters and children, the Apostle Paul says that we have been bought with a price, that we have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, blood that has washed us whiter than snow, blood that has broken the bonds of sin and death. We have been redeemed out of slavery to sin. And it was all through a very costly redemption. The cost was the blood of our Savior. We also see, secondly, that it was a planned redemption. You think back to the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. Consider that in that first chapter when Naomi came back to Bethlehem after the horrible experience that she had in Moab. We read that She told the women of Bethlehem, there in chapter 1, beginning of verse 20, she said, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, 
for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Yeah, loved ones, we see at the end of this story, we see the fullness that God has provided for Naomi as she held her son, her son by Ruth and by Boaz. So that in verse 14 of chapter 4, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. We see that Naomi went from a poor, childless widow to a wealthy, wealthy through Boaz, a wealthy mother. From emptiness to fullness. And what we are to take from the story, loved ones, is not that God will always provide in this way in our own lives. You know, the book of Ruth does not teach us that if we want children, that God will always give us children. Or that if we are poor, God will always give us riches. Because if we consider Naomi at the end of the story, we know that she still has sorrow within her, that her husband is still dead, that her two sons are still dead. But what God is showing us through Naomi, through Ruth, and to Boaz, he is showing us a greater fullness that would come through this son that was born to Ruth, to the son that was named Obed. Because, you know, there's a short genealogy, as we see at the end of chapter 4, Ruth, a genealogy that reveals that Obed would be King David's grandfather. And even more significantly, in Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 records the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that genealogy traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. It traces the genealogy from Adam, through Boaz, through Obed, through King David, all the way up to Jesus' birth. See, loved ones, what the Bible is showing us is that what took place among this seemingly unimportant family in Bethlehem, between Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, what took place there is all part of God's eternal plan to bring about the full redemption of his church. It stretches back to Adam, back to Adam who sinned and brought about the curse of sin and, and death into God's very good creation. And then God's promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3.15 that one of their sons would be victorious over the serpent, over the adversary. One of their sons would rise up and crush the serpent's head while he himself would be bruised. And if we consider every person in Jesus' genealogy, Jesus' family line for those hundreds of years, every person in Jesus' family tree suffered deeply from the effects of sin, either the sorrows that sin brought, the difficulties, the challenges. And we know, loved ones, do we not, from our own experience, the emptiness that sin brings. That even while it seems so often to offer satisfaction, it does so only temporarily, always leaving us worse off. And so this is why the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz is so, is so important for us. 
it reveals to us how God's plan from the beginning was coming to pass. His plan to redeem his people from their sins, his plan to redeem you and me and to grant us fullness through his Son, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we have been given in the Lord Jesus. We have been given fullness, spiritual wholeness, so that as believers living in the new covenant, we can see that, we can see that Obed was only a sign of a greater fullness that God would grant Naomi and that God would grant and grants to all those who trust in him because in the fullness of time, there was a greater son than Obed that came to redeem his people from their sins and to grant eternal blessings. Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 that in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you and I have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And the Apostle, Paul, uh, Apostle John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he explained the reason for his coming to redeem us from our sins. He said, and he says to us today, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that we have received in our union with Christ by faith. We pray that you would write your word now upon our hearts and be with us this week as we seek to do your will and to give you glory in thought, word, and deed. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.